this week, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Um, it's out of Luke. I, I, I was talking to somebody last week after church, I think it was. Um, Luke is my favorite of the four Gospels. I know I've mentioned that before. I love the detail that's in it. Um, in my opinion, it's one of the simplest of the four in terms of it's just out there, right? John is a great Gospel, but especially those first couple chapters, it's very deep. Mark is quick. He says what he's going to say because it comes from Peter, and that's it. Luke is a lot of detail, but it's, it's, it's out there for you to see, and I like that about Luke. And this is one of my favorite passages in Luke. I've, I've done lessons on this. I've done a skit based around this. Um, I just love it. Because we see a few things in it. One, we see, well, one, we get to see Jesus resurrected. Um, and that's one of my favorite parts of all of Scripture, right? Uh, for any believer, it should probably be pretty high ranking, um, Jesus being resurrected, because um, if that doesn't happen the rest of it really is useless to you um, in terms of be, you know, living the life Christ wants you to live. So I love that, but I also love because we see, I see myself in these two men. We only get, only one of them is named in the, in the scripture passage in Luke 24, but I see myself in them because as we're going to read, these two men think they're pretty smart, think they've got a lot of stuff figured out, and Jesus comes along and shows them how far they still have to go, but also how far Jesus is willing to take them. They don't have to walk it alone. Let's read it. It's the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And it is a fairly long passage, but I wanted to include the whole story. Uh, and it's up there on the screens for you um, as well. Luke 24, 13 through 35. It reads, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. They, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman had also said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening. 
and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while, we were speak while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found together and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, let's jump into this. Number one um, on your note sheets there, oh foolish men, oh foolish men. It's obvious from this passage of scripture, and this is actually something that I picked up very recently in reading this, but it comes right out and says it, that they were people, not one of the 12 disciples, right? They weren't two of the 12, but they were people who traveled with Jesus and knew what Jesus was saying, right? It's there in verse, oh, now I lost it. I had it and I lost it and I didn't write it down. But either way, if you read back through the passage of scripture, it says that they were with them. I've remembered what part it is. The women go back and tell them the tomb is empty, which means they're with the people that are gathered with the eleven. That wasn't just somebody that got picked up on the side of the road. So they were with Jesus. Maybe not for all three years like the eleven were, the twelve were, right? But for at least a large portion of Jesus' ministry, they're part of it. They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus said. And they've completely and utterly missed the point. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all that, it has been three days since they crucified him. Since these things happened. It's been three days since these things happened. They're mourning the loss of their friend, of their mentor, of their teacher. And they thought he was going to redeem Israel. Was Jesus there to redeem Israel? Yes, he was. He just wasn't there to redeem them from Rome. He was there to redeem the hearts and the souls of the people. And they missed it horribly. They, like so many others, thought, well, Jesus is here. He's going to save us from our captors, and Israel is going to be risen up as this great nation again. And Jesus couldn't care less at that point about whether Rome ruled Israel or somebody else did. He cared about their hearts. And they missed the point. People traveling with them missed the point. They were foolish men. Has anybody in here ever had somebody exclaim to you, you foolish person? Foolish man, foolish woman, anything like that. Anybody in here been called foolish before? Me too. Does it, does it make you feel nice and fuzzy inside to be called foolish? Right, with Jesus is there, they're walking in. Notice, notice, no, things aren't like punctuation in Scripture is not there willy-nilly. Verse 25, what's the ending punctuation of that sentence? It's an exclamation point. So Jesus didn't go, you foolish men. No, Jesus went, you foolish men. And then he explained it to them. 
It might not be exactly as how I would do it because Jesus is significantly more tender-hearted and kind than I am. But this was not a, oh, you foolish men. This was an exclamation. You foolish men. How did you miss this? And then, I love this. They need Jesus' help. And where does he start? With the basics. He goes all the way back to Moses. All the way back. And he begins explaining things. Right, so often, I, we, I especially, right, I've been a Christian for at least 20 years, if not slightly longer than that. And there are many times in my life where I'm like, I don't want the basics anymore. I'm tired of hearing about the basics. I want the deep things of Scripture. I want, I want, the, I want the meat. Well, that's what it says, right? Milk versus meat. I want the meat of Scripture. The problem is, the meat of Scripture is not study of the end times. The meat of Scripture is not study of angels or demons or numerology or anything like that. The meat of Scripture, what is the meat of Scripture? It's Christ. That's, read it in Romans. It talks about it. I'm not saying those things aren't fun to study and stuff. Revelation is my favorite book of the Bible. I love studying Revelation. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not going to be here for three quarters of it. So it doesn't matter to me. In the grand scheme of things, when I could understand Christ more, when I could understand what Christ went through more, when I could understand who Christ wants me to be and how to be that person more, we need to go back to the basics. It was a real struggle of mine when I first became the pastor here because I wanted to, I was like, I'm going to preach all these messages and they're going to be this, that, and the other thing. And one day my dad sat me down and went, you're over their heads. You're over your head. You don't know what you're talking about. And he was right. I'm not Ravi Zacharias or whoever. Ravi Zacharias is considered the smartest theologian of the current age. He died a few years ago. Um, we won't get into his sin struggles that he had, but if you ever listen to a sermon by him, you will walk out of it incredibly confused. I'm just letting you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is that we needed basics, and not because we're dumb, but because that's what we need in order to understand Christ better. So we can study all these deep theological things, or... We could say, those are great things to study, but I want to know about Jesus, and I want to study Jesus, and I want to study what Jesus told me to do, and what Jesus was doing. I want the meat of Scripture. I want to, as Romans says, become more Christ-like. The study of demons or angels or revelation really doesn't get you more Christ-like. The study of Christ does. It's an idea of human wisdom versus God's wisdom. You see, they thought they knew. They thought they had it figured out. Jesus was here. He was going to redeem Israel um, um, militarily and, uh, and, and um, government-wise. He was going to redeem Israel. And Christ will do that eventually. Right? Read the end of Revelation. He is coming back. And he is not coming back meek and mild. He is coming back on a white horse. And out of his mouth he speaks. And it's like a double-edged sword. 
And by the end of the Battle of Armageddon, there is a river of blood miles long, as high as a horse's bridle. God is coming back, and he is not coming back as a meek, mild Jesus. He is coming back in the power and glory of Jesus. He did not come that time that way because it wasn't important yet. One day he will, but he came then to seek and save the lost. When he comes back on the white horse, there's no seek and saving the lost. They're done. He came to seek and save, and they missed it. They missed the point completely. They had human understanding, human wisdom, and God wants us to look at Scripture in his wisdom, through what he says, through what he means. One of my least favorite subjects in school was English. To this day, I hate grammar. I hate that, that, that devotional that we, got, that we gave out to you guys at Christmas time, right? How many hours did you and mom spend pouring over that thing to fix my grammatical errors and my bad wording, all that kind of stuff? I'm not good at it. I never have been. And I never will be because I don't care enough to try to get good at it. I'm not in school anymore. I don't need to get a good grade. But one of my least favorite things about English class was not grammar and such, although I hated that. It was we would read a poem, and then the teacher would go, now what do you think that means? And one time I had a teacher very mad at me because I was a dumb, like, 13, 14, 15-year-old who thought I knew everything and went, what does it matter what I think it means? What did the author think it means? They're the one who wrote it. She wasn't happy with me because she wanted me to say that the rock meant a church or something like that. I was like, maybe, maybe. It's possible. The rock is just a rock. It's possible. If you're in school or, or, or whatever, a river is almost always the passing of time. And a tree is almost always life. I don't know who decided these things, but they did. That's not what I would have chosen. You know what I would have chosen to show the passing of time? A clock. I don't think that way. I don't think symbolically with things. I think literal. The fact of the matter is, it does not matter what you or I think Scripture means. It matters what did the author say it means, and the author is God. We can take all our human wisdom to it that we want to. All of our human understanding from every book we've ever read, every conversation we've ever had, and it does not matter a lick if it does not align exactly with what God meant it to mean. Our feelings, our thoughts, our ambitions, our desires, throw them out the window when you're reading Scripture because it's the author that matters. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, number two on your note sheets. God reveals truth. God reveals truth. Here's the thing. You and I haven't a hope of understanding this book without the author's help. Without the author's help, we can't understand it. Yeah, I could read through it and understand the basic things of, oh, all right, you know, I'm supposed to be a good person, and I shouldn't kill, and I shouldn't murder. That's the same thing. And I shouldn't steal, and I shouldn't be envious. Yeah, right. All those sorts of things, right, in almost every civilization throughout history, laws like that have been commonplace. We have an innate understanding of right and wrong because of the one who made us. We can't understand scripture 
unless it's revealed to us. And it starts with salvation. Jan doesn't like it when I pick on her. But I'll say it again. Jan, you say this all the time. What is Christianity? <laughs> it's backwards. It's upside down. God. Amen. I'm pretty crazy. God, the, the all-powerful, omniscient God, creator, sustainer of the universe, God, who doesn't need us in any way, shape, or form, God, capital G, Yahweh, the I Am, said, you turned your backs on me, I will die for you to bring you back. That makes no sense in any way, shape, or form. It never has and it never will. Oh, the incredible love of God. And that only makes sense to the heart of a believer because Christ reveals it or the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. In that moment, when you say yes, he reveals it to you, the truth. And then it's a process the rest of the way. Notice, so, so it says in there in the story that their, their eyes, right, their hearts are blinded to who Jesus was in that moment. There was a very specific reason for that. It wasn't time yet. That's the reason. It wasn't time yet for them to see Jesus as who Jesus was as they're on the road. What is it? What's the action that Jesus does that opens their eyes to who he is? He breaks the bread. What does the breaking of the bread mean? It was his body that was broken. He's revealing to them what happened to him. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit lifts the cover off their eyes and they get it. And they're amazed. And they say to themselves in verse 20, or 32, excuse me, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while, we were, while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining these, these things? Were not our hearts burning within us. Church, you're not going to be like this all the time. You're not. I'm not. It's okay. But the fact of the matter is that the word is alive. It's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the deepest part of us. And when we allow it to, when we allow God to actually speak to us through his word, it lights this fire down inside of us. And it stokes those flames. Some of us in here, church, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, I just know this to be true because there's a group of 20, 30, 40 of us gathered together. It's natural to happen. Some of us in here, it's just an ember, barely burning right now. Some of you in here might have a raging inferno going on inside of you. Most of you, including me, are somewhere in between. We're somewhere in between there. But notice what this burning desire, this burning inside of them makes them do. They get up. We know it's nighttime, or at least evening, because they tell us that it is. They're eating the evening meal. They've traveled a good portion of the day to get to Emmaus. And what do they do? They get up. They turn around and they go back to Jerusalem because they've got to tell the other believers. 
They've got to tell somebody that Jesus is alive. It's the same thing that happened to the women. They had to go tell somebody. It's the same thing that happened to John. He had to go tell somebody. Peter got scared when he found out Jesus was resurrected. It would take him a little bit longer. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. But eventually that fire catches inside Peter. And it burns bright and hot. Not quite yet. But for Cleopas and his friend, it burns. And they have to go tell somebody. Church, we should be at a place. I've said this before, right? There is nothing wrong with talking about sports or, or music or food, right? Whatever. There's nothing wrong with talking about worldly things like that, right? When my best friend and I get together, we talk about sports. However, every time that my best friend and I are together, we can't help but talk about something spiritual. It always comes up. Church, do the people around you think that you talk too much about God? Because if they don't, you're not talking about them enough. There should be a burning desire within you to tell people, to talk to other believers about what God is revealing to you and how you can help other people and stuff like that. And there should be a burning desire within you to tell others about Jesus. Because he's resurrected. That only comes from studying his word. And when you study his word, God starts revealing things to you from his word. So let's apply it to our lives. Mom's not going to be happy with me. We're 20 minutes early right now. She said, are you going to be done around 1045? And I went... Uh, probably a little earlier than that because we don't have communion or anything like that, but I've tried to stretch this as long as I can. I could stretch it farther. So, no, let's apply it to our lives, shall we? Number one, what's your level of reliance on God in everything, not just in studying his word? What is your level of reliance upon God? A friend of mine uh, named Alex and I, he was one of my roommates in, in college, um, one of, my, one of my other best friends, he and, he and Drucker and I were kind of a, a, a group. I was talking to him uh, earlier this week because I sent him a, 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 little, a little video thing on, on, on Instagram. And it said, uh, it was a guy kind of freaking out, and it said the world up, uh, uh, in, in worrying about how dark this world is getting, about how hard and evil this world is getting. And then it flipped to a guy who was just there smiling. And it was me knowing God's got it. Church, are you part of the first group where you're freaking out about what this world is coming to? Make no mistake, it is getting worse. Make no mistake. And I'm not denying that. Wars, we just read this in Matthew in our, in our, in our Thursday morning Bible study, right? Wars, plagues, rumors of wars, death, all of it's happening. No doubt about it. Sin abounds, and no longer is sin just accepted. Sin is pushed. If you are not sinning, people ask why. And you are the one ridiculed. The world is getting worse. It's getting closer and closer and closer to being like it was in the days of Noah. Jesus himself says that, so make no mistake about it. Make no mistake as well, 
that you and I, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, have absolutely nothing to worry about. You're right. The budget's going to get tighter and tighter. I'm a firm believer that the government is making gas prices higher because they want us to all buy electric cars. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that this world's getting darker. In fact, and this might sound as somewhat sacrilegious maybe, you should rejoice because it means God's coming back sooner. The darker this world gets, the closer you are to the rapture. And also, the darker this world gets, the brighter your light gets to shine. Or I should say, the brighter God's light shines through you. What is your level of reliance on God? I'm not going to stand up here and say, listen, World War III happens, don't worry about it. I am here to tell you that scripture is pretty darn clear. There will be at least one more world war. Whether that's World War II, three, eight, nine, who cares? Well, we already had two. But, right, it doesn't matter. Because God's got it figured out. And we're supposed to walk in faith and reliance on him. That reliance is also in our wisdom and our understanding. So here's your practical uh, um, application for this week. Pick one verse a day. If you're not sure how to pick it, I would advise you to go on like a BibleGateway.com or the Bible app on your phone. They always have a verse of the day. So if you are unsure of where to go, go there. One verse a day, not a passage of scripture. Now, if you want to go to that sort of thing, you can, but start small. One verse a day for the next week. And before you jump into that one verse and meditate on it all day long, we've talked about meditating on scripture. Ask God for understanding of that single verse and how to apply it to your life. Right, we can get bogged down, right? Even this, this sermon today was 20 plus verses. It's a big section. It's too much sometimes. That's okay. One verse a day. Now here's the thing, I'm not going to say it has to be a different verse every day. Because I have spent weeks on like three, four verses before. Until I feel God says, okay, go to the next one. You might pick one verse for this whole week, and that's okay, as long as you are legitimately meditating on that verse all week long. One verse a day, and ask God for understanding on it. And as he leads and guides and opens up your eyes, right? As he opens up your eyes to who he is, to what his truth is, the truth is, Work to put aside. Ask him to help you. Put aside your wants, what you want it to say, your desires, what you think it should say, all that stuff. Ask God to help you put aside what Pastor Sam might think it says, right? I'm not infallible. I'm about as close as you can get, right? I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Practically perfect in every way. Just ask my wife. Right, no one is infallible, whether it's David, Jeremiah, myself, right, another teacher you love, right, the only one who's infallible is the author of the book. So if it's what he says, that's what it is. You will find things you don't like, 
For a believer, this book does not condemn you. It sure convicts you. There's a difference. Condemning sends you to hell. Convicting shows you where you're wrong. One verse a day for the next week and ask God for understanding of that single verse. I'd suggest doing it in the morning because it gives you all day then to meditate on it, to think through it, to pray through it. And would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your understanding, for your wisdom. I thank you for this, this story of these two gentlemen who thought they had so much figured out, but realized they had none of it figured out. Yet, you didn't just go, you're a foolish man and walk away. You said, you're foolish men, but let me explain it to you. I thank you that you don't give up on us because we are all foolish men and women. You don't give up. And when we are open to learning, boy, you'll show us incredible things. Father, we praise you. I ask that um, you would bless our weeks. I pray for if we get this snow tomorrow, that you keep people safe. Um, and it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.